Salim, it's great to see you and thank you very much for taking the time to speak to me. I just want to start by asking about how the emissions from high emitting countries have inflicted climate vulnerability on nations like Bangladesh. Well, I think um, it's very visible now around the world and it's not just countries like Bangladesh, it's hitting everywhere. The United States of America just got hit by Hurricane Ida and more than 50 people lost their lives in New York and New Jersey. So the impacts of climate change, which are absolutely scientifically attributable to the fact that we have raised global mean temperature above, well above one degree since industry, pre-industrial re revolution times, uh, is now upon us. It's happening everywhere and it'll happen and it'll get worse every day unless we take action very, very drastically. When we see it in the US and when we see it in that we have this summer in Northern Europe, there's almost a, a, quite a shock factor. It's almost like it's arrived and it's not meant to arrive for <laughs> 70 years. But in Bangladesh, you've been dealing with a lot of these extremes for some time. Can you talk about the nature of the extremes that you're actually already having to deal with? Sure, you're quite right. I mean, this is old news for countries like Bangladesh, where we've been seeing it for the last decade. Uh, the fact that the richer world, the Europe and America are seeing it this year, is the fact that we have actually crossed a threshold from something that we thought would happen to something that is already happening. And a country like Bangladesh, which is a very poor country, highly dense population of 170 million people in less than 150,000 square kilometers, on the delta of two of the world's biggest rivers, the Ganges and Ramaputra. You know, we get regular floods, which have become more severe and intense. We get cyclones, which have become more severe and intense. And we even get droughts in part of the country, which you wouldn't think Bangladesh has droughts, but we do have droughts uh, as well. So Bangladesh is very often uh, um, measured in global rankings as first, second, or third in the most vulnerable categories list. And it is that. Uh, but it's also doing things to adapt to the impacts of climate change as well. And that was one of the things that I found particularly interesting is that we, we do tend to think of Bangladesh as being one of the most vulnerable countries, but it hasn't sat around being vulnerable. It's actually tackled this and started adapting. Can you talk about some of the techniques that have actually materially happened? Sure. So we've known this for the last 10 years. It's not news to us that Bangladesh is vulnerable. And in the last 10 years, we've done quite a lot. We have invested in developing a national climate change strategy and action plan. Uh, we have then invested in funding that strategy and action plan with our own funds for, to the tune of $100 million uh, equivalent in Bangladesh currency every year. And as a result, Bangladesh government and non-governmental organizations and research institutes like mine, we have been... Um, developing our capacities to adapt to the impacts of climate change, despite being a vulnerable country. So whereas we still are a vulnerable country, and that was uh, uh, our sort of claim to fame, we are now well on the path to becoming, if not the most resilient country, perhaps one of the most resilient countries to the impacts of climate change and adapting to those impacts by getting everybody to understand what the problems are and being better prepared to deal with those problems. Yeah, that's amazing. And you just hit on something right at the end there, was getting everyone to understand. And I, I, I actually think in, let's just take the UK, for example, it's very difficult to get everyone to form around 
the facts on something like climate change. Everyone's completely divided over what we should do or whether we should stop doing one mm -hmm. thing or mm -hmm. how, how has Bangladesh actually achieved this sort of cohesive messaging? Well, I would argue that the uh, biggest, uh, most effective way in which any country can become adapted to the impacts of climate change is by everybody understanding the problem and then everybody stepping up to do something about it. So an aware and prepared citizenship is the key element, not technology, not being rich. Uh, you know, the fact that in Germany with the flash floods, more than 150 people lost their lives in the United States, in New York, in New Jersey, just a few days ago, more than 50 people lost their lives. That kind of thing actually doesn't happen in Bangladesh anymore. We have floods and we have cyclones, but the loss of life we have minimized. People get evacuated and warned and evacuated uh, very effectively. And so, you know, the rich countries can learn a lot from the poorer countries on making themselves more resilient, particularly by having people themselves understand the problem and knowing what to do about the problem. And we've invested heavily in getting our people to understand what it is and to be ready to do what is needed when it's needed to be done. That's amazing advice, especially as we're at the beginning of this new trend. This isn't something that's just sort of you know, on a slow ramp. Exactly. Um, I saw you tweeting at, at the time of the German floods. You were talking about this directly. You were mm. saying, you know, in Bangladesh, we can help it. <laughs> We've experienced it. And so when you saw that, was that the kind of connections you were thinking? Is that you yes, guys aren't ready? Absolutely. And in fact, I was, uh, you know, reached out by German media and interviewed. And in fact, we are now working with uh, partners in Germany, particularly the Red Cross, on how the experience in Bangladesh uh, of everybody being involved in doing their thing and knowing what to do can be transferred to countries like Germany because they were certainly not prepared. You know, a country like Germany, highly industrialized and, and developed and rich, shouldn't have lost that many lives. It should not have happened. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it, this comes back to a, an, another issue and it's to do with it's to do with the COP. We've got the COP coming up. You've arrived back in the UK ahead of the COP. We have this, this problem at the moment where high emitting countries are kind of acting on their own. They're sort of, no, we don't want to change yet. We don't want to do this. But really the solution is embedded in multilateralism. It's, it's, it is better that we help each other. We communicate with each, with each other. We share resources and ideas and expertise. What is your expectation of COP26? Well, I, I remain optimistic. I think the biggest paradigm shift that we have to make as quickly as possible, we're beginning to make it, but we're not making it at sufficient speed, is for the leaders of all 200 or so countries that are going to be meeting to understand that unlike many other international negotiations, this is not a zero-sum game where one country loses and another country wins and we are competing against each other. That's a very old paradigm. In this case, it is the leaders of the world today deciding what kind of a planet they're going to leave behind for their own children and their own grandchildren. And this is a generation that has to make that decision. So far, we've been making a very bad decision. We've been, leaving, we've been making decisions based on national priorities that are going to make the whole world suffer the impacts of uh, our decisions. And the sooner our leaders realize that and start working with global solidarity, the better. Um, and an, a good example of that is the COVID-19 pandemic, which was a global problem that hit the whole world where national leaders tried to just 
keep their own people safe and not the rest of the world is just simply not going to work. Um, and so we need to realize we all live on planet Earth and planet Earth is being affected by climate change and every citizen on planet Earth need to be helping each other uh, do what is needed uh, in a sense of solidarity. And only then can we avert the problem or at least minimize it. it uncertain, unfortunately, certain amount of impacts are now inevitable, but the worst can still be avoided. And also one of the subjects that I've spoken to you a lot about in the past is to do with attribution and loss and damage. Can you give a very brief overview of where we are right now and what you're really driving for at COP26 on that issue? Well, I would argue that we have now entered, and I'll give a precise time for this, as of July, August 2021, we have crossed a threshold into what I call the era of loss and damage from climate change. And uh, the scientific verification of that is the publication of the Working Group One report of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, sixth assessment report, which was published in August, which has unequivocally for the first time given a very scientifically credible uh, uh, answer to the question of is climate change happening? And the answer is unequivocally yes. We can we can now measure the impacts of climate change. And every single day we are seeing a record breaking extreme event somewhere in the world, a heat wave, a wildfire, a flood, a cyclone, a hurricane, uh, somewhere in the world every single day. And that will happen for the coming years to come. We have now entered into this global era of loss and damage from climate change. And what that means is that the impacts and losses human lives and infrastructure uh, from human-induced climate change, because we've raised the global temperature above one degree, is now inevitable. It's happening before our eyes. And it's happening in rich countries as well as poor countries. And everybody's going to suffer. And the sooner we deal with that, the better. And COP26 is the first COP that this issue needs to be taken seriously as it deserves and not just put into a little a small black box, which we have so far, something called the Warsaw International Mechanism on Loss and Damage, such a mouthful, nobody even remembers what it means. We really need to take this issue much more seriously. And I'm hopeful that we will be able to do that in COP26. Okay, and in previous years, and you know, I remember talking to you about this in, in Poland and, and before that, in, probably in Paris, you, you were talking about this loss and damage and trying to get it just further up the agenda at that point. And it seemed to be then, okay, well, you're coming from a vulnerable nation. Of course you want these loss and damages. But what you're saying now is that, hang on, this is a global loss and damage issue. So everybody who's experiencing it is in the game. <laughs> I don't want to call it a game, but yeah. it's in, mm -hmm. the, in, in the ballpark. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that changes, that really does change it? And does do you think that, people from the regions now, the affected regions, are going to join this conversation? I think it's a huge game changer. Uh, reality is the game changer. You know, Germans who lost their lives, their families, if you watch the news at that time and you ask every German who was asked what, what caused it, everybody said it was climate change. They knew it. Everybody knows that. Even in the United States of America, where people, it, the huge segment of the population denies it, they understand it. Joe Biden just yesterday said that the impacts in New Jersey and New York was climate change. It's happening. It's quite visible. Now there's no denying it anymore. Uh, the other thing that has held up negotiations at the global level 
is the, the question of finance. Uh, developed countries, rich countries, the polluting cut have been unwilling to discuss loss and damage because they feel it opens them up to claims of liability and claims of compensation. And therefore, talking about finance has been a, a no-no. They don't like talking about liability, compensation, and finance. But I think that that taboo now has to be removed because just to give you one example, Chancellor Angela Merkel in Germany, when she visited the flood-hit areas, she immediately found 500 million euro out of nowhere, out of thin air, to compensate her own citizens who are the victims of climate change loss and damage. Joe Biden just allocated $50 billion from the federal FEMA budget to citizens of the United States of America, So, which is the right thing to do. I have nothing against them. They are doing the right thing to compensate their own citizens for the loss and damage that they have suffered from human-induced climate change. But they also owe poor citizens across the world who are also affected by the same loss and damage from the same climate change for which the rich countries have been largely responsible. They just simply cannot shirk that responsibility any any longer, in my view. Well, I think you've, you've just made the point very, very well. So, I mean, I think we can leave it there. I think that I've, that's brilliant. Thank you very much. It's good. been really good to speak to you. And I, I hope to see you at the COP. Good to see you. I hope to see you in Glasgow, Nick.